we will see some action very soon. So later this year, we will have the, see the first commercial launches of, uh, of 5G networks. Uh, in the beginning, we will see these typically in the, the US, uh, Northeast Asia with China, Japan, South Korea. But personally, I um, hope, I'm a little bit of a 5G nerd, I guess. I hope that I soon will have this small, you know, 5G marking my smartphone up in the right corner that it says 5G. So, but uh, I'm fine. Welcome to another episode of Transmissions from Tomorrow, the show that gives you an inside route to the people driving the digital transformation of business and technology in the world of telecommunications. And I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. I have two wonderful guests with me from uh, Sweden, uh, from the Ericsson team. So I'm going to introduce them both one at a time with their background because they have just an amazing pedigree, both of them. I'm going to start with Monica Balian, uh, the 5G marketing director. She is responsible for uh, driving Ericsson's global marketing strategy for 5G, the uh, new generation of mobile networks. And prior to this current role, she was uh, a Network Society evangelist and an integral part of the Network Society lab. Uh, conducting research into how technology-driven transformation impacts industries, business, society, and everyday life. She was also previously the editor of Ericsson's Mobility Report, um, which I'm a great fan of, uh, in which Ericsson publishes its annual forecasts and insights into the mobile industry. Uh, she's also managed a business scenario unit at the company um, and been responsible for analysing the telco industry and its players at large. She's got a background with venture capital and uh, finance industry area space, uh, she's earned a Master of Science degree in Strategy and Marketing at, uh, I'm going to get this wrong, I'm sure, but Linkshörping uh, University in Sweden. She can probably correct my pronunciation on that. And uh, this is just astounding. She also served as Secretary for the Commission of Business Confidence set up by the Swedish Prime Minister's Office. Hi, Monica. Thanks for joining me. How are you today? I'm great, Des, and I think that your pronunciation of lean shopping was excellent. I'm impressed. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're being too kind. Now, we also have uh, Frederick Engstromer, uh, Head of Marketing, 5G Core Business Area Digital Services with us today. I'm going to run through your background, Eric. Uh, you've had an extensive number of leadership roles at Ericsson, um, spanning sales, business development, marketing, including some international assignments, I remember, from, uh, I think, in Europe and Latin America. And within your current role as head of marketing for 5G Core within the business area digital services, um, I'm imagining you, you draw upon uh, a range of specialist skills uh, within 5G, 5G Core, across business cases, 5G industry digitalization, uh, 5G use cases, network slicing, and a whole range of things with the key account management, leadership, and uh, marketing within the B2B space, business development, sales of technology, networks, and services. You hold a master's of science degree in engineering physics, uh, from the Faculty of Engineering at Lund University in Sweden. Um, as part of a master's degree study you uh, conducted at University of São Paulo in Brazil, you also have uh, Spanish language studies performed at University of uh, Guadalajara in Mexico, including uh, Russian language studies uh, performed at Uppsala University in Sweden. Um, you also attended uh, several business uh, training programs, I think, at uh, University of Columbia in the United States, and uh, I love this one, the Thunderbird School of Global Management in the United States. You're fluent in English, Spanish, and Swedish, and you're highly proficient in Russian, French, and German. Wow, that's outstanding. Frederick, thank you so much for making time to join us, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, uh, Des, for having us, and uh, looking forward to this uh, session with you today. 
I, uh, I feel uh, severely humbled uh, or seriously humbled by either of your uh, amazing backgrounds. To have you both here is just astounding. Um, let me just uh, jump straight into this because we have an amazing amount of material to cover today and I wanted to get right into the thick of it. Um, Monica, let me start with you. Um, for our listeners who don't, uh, I guess, um, fully understand uh, what it actually means to talk about 5G and the evolution of 5G networks, there's a lot to think about when we think about the transition from 2G to 3G, 3 to 4. We sort of heard about you know, moving from radio networks to, I guess, some streaming content when we got to 3 to 4G and we could listen to, I guess, you know, music and, and watch videos. Um, I'm really keen to get your insights on what it means to now go to the fifth generation network um, and not just the, I guess, the, the core guts of what the 3GPP standard is, but the technology behind 5G. What is it when we talk about the 5G and the evolution of 5G? Yeah, so, so the big difference, I guess, uh, from the previous Gs is that you will have more diverse opportunities with 5G. So as you mentioned, I mean, if you look at the previous generation with 2G, we had the voice and, and the SMS uh, uh, type of uh, services. Uh, with 3G, we could start to browse the internet. With 4G, to really care of all our video uh, consumption, um, all of that traffic. Uh, but um, common for these uh, generations of, of mobile networks is that they're very consumer um, services centric. Uh, we will have new consumer services with 5G as well. But in addition, uh, 5G will serve also multiple industries. So 5G will open up for a lot of new uh, business opportunities addressing these uh, industries. I guess Telco has uh, enjoyed what we call the killer app of voice and phone calls. Um, I, I imagine what you're alluding to there, though, is that now with 5G coming about, when we think about traditional telco spaces, it, it's probably a substantial jump in capability and, and evolution in that we're now not just talking about voice and data and, and not even particularly streaming content from a consumer space, but uh, significant growth across industrial use. So it's you know smart warehousing, uh, autonomous vehicles, um, self-piloting things of various forms, all the way down to potentially drones uh, delivering things to our, our houses. You know, where, where do you see this evolution in 5G going across these big industry sectors? Where, where do you think the big wins are going to be in the short to medium term? So so in, in the short term, I mean, in the very short term, um, uh, the major uh, business case will be still with consumers and the enhanced uh, mobile broadband. But looking then, if we just focus on the industries, um, this uh, this journey will start already today with uh, all of the IoT use cases that we see today. And not only uh, drone delivery, but you have all the metering, uh, the smart metering in energy and utilities, but also uh, metering uh, when it comes to in healthcare, uh, metering of uh, patients at home where you meter uh, their, their vitals. But then moving into more advanced use cases when you have 5G. Uh, all the way in healthcare to uh, remote robotic surgery, for instance. So, uh, and in in, uh, in energy utilities, you have uh, advanced use cases such as uh, management of uh, edge of grid generation, where you have the solar generation and you uh, are able to manage that type of generation of energy. So, you have a, a vast amount of of use cases in the industry space. That, that will um, be enabled by 5G, enhanced by 5G, enabled by 5G. And, and one of the concerns that we see around the world, when, when people think about IoT in particular and smart things being connected, 
we've traditionally seen a lot of this happen over the internet. Is it fair to say, though, with the emergence of 5G, that now telco operators can effectively run more efficient and smarter networks that don't need IoT devices to be specifically connected to the internet at large, which is slowing things down? But we're now going to see with 5G the emergence of telco operators being able to facilitate uh, purpose-built network capabilities, and I guess we'll get into network slicing in particular uh, a little bit later in the show. But is it fair to say that 5G is going to almost, I guess, save the internet in many ways because we've got, now got a network that's capable of connecting uh, you know, what will probably be billions of devices talking at very low latency, high throughput, and a whole range of use cases that would probably otherwise break the internet? Is that a fair assumption? Yes, you, you will be able to see, uh, I mean, <laughs> thousands and billions of, of sensors being connected in what we call, uh, is often called the massive IoT type of scenarios. And um, 5G will help there with, with providing um, 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 cheaper connectivity for all of these uh, devices, so really low cost uh, and also been able to provide a really long battery life for all of these uh, uh, sensors and, and devices. So uh, for these, uh, perhaps the, the volumes of data transmitted is, is not that high. Uh, so low volume data transmission, uh, but you really, uh, it's sensitive data that you need to take care of um, at a low cost, uh, uh, long battery life, and uh, connecting these uh, millions of, of devices. And I guess the low latency component is a big factor as well, because uh, if I think about myself, I'm, I'm reluctant to get into an autonomous vehicle today because I, I don't necessarily know that 4G network uh, response times and latency is going to tell the vehicle to turn left on the map just when it needs to, and I could end up going off a cliff, but 5G is going to hopefully resolve that. But we, uh, another question for you, we hear a lot of talk about 5G in general, and we hear a lot of people talking about the need to be prepared for it. It's coming. It's an, it's an evolutionary shift. Um, but what I haven't really got a sense for is kind of when that's going to happen and, and when we see the transition from a whole range of, I guess, conversation and discussion around 5G to when we actually see the first commercial 5G networks actually being available. When can I start to look at getting a device that's 5G enabled and, and when can I connect to an actual 5G, I guess, you know, commercially available network service? What do you, I mean, you're at the bleeding edge of this. Where do you see this uh, coming about? How soon do we, should we expect in commercial 5G networks go live? Yeah, we will see some action very soon. So later this year, we will have the, see the first commercial launches of, uh, of 5G networks. And uh, in the beginning, we will see these uh, typically in the US, uh, Northeast Asia with China, Japan, South Korea. And um, but personally, I um, hope I'm a little bit of a 5G nerd, I guess. I hope that I soon will have this small, you know, 5G marking my smartphone up in the right corner that it says 5G. So, but uh, I'm a 5G nerd, I guess. <laughs> I like that. I, I think I'm going to go out and get some T-shirts printed straight away, 5G nerd, and uh, I'll give you the first one. I'll take the second one. Uh, Frederick, I'm keen to bring you in here. Um, one of the things that one of the things I constantly get asked, whether it's LinkedIn conversations, LinkedIn groups, Twitter chats, or even just sitting in a boardroom talking to to our existing clients, not just in Australia but around the world. One of the things that I'm really keen to get your insight on is the technical differences. I mean, when when we think about the transition from, I guess, you know, not so much 2G, but, but 3 to 4 and 4 to 5G, could you maybe just share some insight, um, again, given your, your position, uh, I guess, you know, unique position in the world where you're right at the bleeding edge, 
maybe share some insights on the key technical differences that we can expect to come about with, with the emergence of 5G and some of the, the industrial shift that comes with that. Sure, yes, of course. And uh, typically we get this question a lot. And uh, technical expectations or different KPIs that we can expect, people very much think about the peak data rates, right? And we, we think about some 10 gigabit per second and in extreme cases, 20 gigabits per second. And, and that is, of course, one of the major things with 5G. However, there are many, many other KPIs and expectations on, on 5G that will come. So see this also as an evolution of the technology uh, and in various steps, if you wish. Uh, latency is another one that is uh, very much talked about and super important. You mentioned it before as well. And uh, we're talking about milliseconds latency, one to 10 milliseconds. Uh, so that you can you can do a number of critical use cases that you couldn't do before. Uh, user experience data rate up to 100 megabit per second is typically what the industry expects. Uh, spectrum efficiency uh, one to three times of where we are today, also super important. Uh, we talk about mobility so that we can have uh, transportations on train, etc up to some 500 kilometers an hour. So, sorry about that if you're not kilometers an hour, um, but but you can translate that, of course. Uh, what is super important as well is the resilience. And re by resilience, I mean reliability. Uh, five nines of packets and also availability, five nines of time. So those are very much important. If we're gonna do these remote operations or autonomous robotics use cases, we need this to be very, very resilient as such. Uh, other parts that we talk about is the connection density, uh, increase to some uh, uh, 10K and upwards on devices. Uh, we talk about network efficiency uh, and battery lifetime was mentioned before. Uh, position accuracy is also improving and security needs to be remain high as it was in 4G as well. And that is of course very important in these days. And if we're gonna do all of these more critical use cases, we need to have a continuous high security. So those are some of the expectations that I think the industry in general expects from 5G. There's, there's a number of things I'd like to just quickly unpack with it. I mean, we think of, when we think about speed, uh, sometimes it's hard to comprehend. When we think about latency, that gets a little bit more tricky because we don't quite know what that means. When we think about throughput, I guess it's a little bit simpler to understand because it's the sort of difference between downloading one movie at a time or 100 movies. But the one that I'd like to just highlight is when, you know, the telco industry has lived with five nines uh, forever. I mean, when, when we pick up the phone in the old school, we get a dull tone, as we say. We, we don't expect to wait forever. I mean, the days of, of spinning the handle and waiting for an operator to come and, and the little bell to go are gone. These days, when we pick up a mobile phone, we don't really even think about a dull tone, do we? We just expect it to be instantly on. And there's no such thing as even waiting for the, you know, the, the, the tone at the other end. But to put that in context, when we think about the five nines, so what is, when we say 99.999% availability, I mean, this is something like, what, five and a half minutes a year of, of not outage, but planned downtime, where you've got essentially roughly five minutes a year where the telco infrastructure is allowed to be updated, administered, and, and worked on uh, uh, beyond planning for any other outages. I mean, this is just a, a mind-boggling thing for most people who, who barely get nine, one single nine in their life of, of uptime. I mean, even if we compare uh, sick days at work, you know, we're hardly even getting 99% time. 
but the one I'd love you to just recap on, when we think about speed and latency, so um, maybe put a little context on that. So when we think about some of the use cases, um, autonomous cars we can understand, but I always have this picture of myself being laid out on a, on a surgical bed and I've got a, a robotic arm above me, let's say in a remote area, but there's somebody in a built-up city that's performing the actual surgery. I mean, when, they're thinking, when we think about cutting into a heart or, or an artery, I mean, those milliseconds of latency, that speed of throughput is, is even more critical when we're thinking about those use cases, aren't they? Because even a, even a, a millionth or a hundredth of a second delay of moving a scalpel is, is life and death, isn't it? Hmm. I think you're uh, laying it out very well, Des. And, and uh, I also um, could think about other examples in, in the construction industry with excavators being remotely controlled something we showed at, at the Mobile World Congress this year, uh, and, and the haptic feedback so that you basically uh, feel what's happening uh, on the other side, so to say. So when you are uh, doing remote operation, either uh, of a vehicle in that sense, or in, in the healthcare industry, as you said, with a remote operation or uh, assisting a medical team on, on distance maybe, uh, then the, the milliseconds are very, very important and, and uh, you need to be able to, to um, feel instantly what's going on on the other side to avoid uh, or to improve the situation or to avoid uh, some terrible situations that could uh, happen otherwise. If you are moving a, a 25, 30 uh, ton vehicle and, and uh, you have a few milliseconds extra latency, that, that thing might crash into a wall. And you can just imagine what would happen in an operations room if there would be latency uh, high. So with 5G technology, these things are, uh, let's say, possible to come down into latencies now of, of one to 10 milliseconds, or I would say will be possible uh, in, in the future once it's there, uh, if we're fulfilling these expectations, so to say. So, so by doing this, uh, we can step into uh, new cases of digitalization in healthcare, in construction, in manufacturing, and so on, that we could not do before. And operators, service providers have a chance here to play a central role in providing this uh, technology to the industries. Monica, I'd like to, to come back to you specifically around some of these use cases. I mean, I get very excited about these because for, for a number of years, for decades, in fact, I'll be quite frank, I have in many ways been fairly disenfranchised by, I guess, a lot of consumer and consumption-based focus on technology. But where I get very excited now about what's happening within Ericsson and what's taken place with the digital transformation of the business throughout Ericsson and, and the emergence of 5G and all the things around it uh, are the, the new and emerging use cases that we're now talking about with remote health and remote operations and a whole range of things, particularly in emerging markets such as you know the 54 nations of, of Africa and, and, and India and China in particular we're seeing. Uh, life-changing transformations through the adoption of some of this technology. Maybe give us some insights in some of the, I guess, the um, practical use cases that you're seeing emerge in the short to medium term. Where, where are you seeing some of these use cases being taken up by the, the marketers, uh, market at large globally, and particularly, I guess, around the operators and how they're activating these use cases? Mm. So, so we, we typically uh, divide the use cases in four categories. Uh, where we have uh, one huge one is the enhanced mobile broadband type of, of use cases addressing mainly uh, consumers. Uh, this is the use case category where uh, op 
first. Uh, this is what they. Uh, this is the sort of low-hanging fruit for them. Uh, this is their current uh, c- uh, customer base, and here uh, is where they will uh, sort of advance and uh, uh, with 5G into those uh, type of opportunities. Another uh, category is uh, fixed wireless access, uh, also an early use case uh, category for for operators, and here's uh, basically where you can uh, provide. Um, um, to consumers and to small businesses, uh, instead of digging fiber and also uh, providing mobile broadband for for the unconnected. Right. The, uh, but then, but then I think where you were also thinking this is uh, the other two categories where we already talked a little bit about this massive IoT with a huge number of uh, devices being connected, and that's typically for, for monitoring and, and tracking. Maybe you're tracking your fleet of uh, garbage trucks uh, around the city to optimize uh, the flow of your fleet, for instance. Um, and that you can do already today, but then advancing that with, with uh, 5G, having more um, devices in, in one place and being able to take care of that, as, as Fredrik uh, touched upon. Um, and then the fourth category uh, of critical IoT, uh, where you can then have critical uh, use cases with uh, low latency requirements or high throughput uh, or what have you. The uh, the challenge for the telcos in that space, I guess, in this early stage must be they come to you as Ericsson and, and both yourself, uh, uh, Monica and Frederick. And the, I, I imagine that the first thing they say to us is, where, where do we start? How do we get up and running with some of these uh, uh, exciting use cases. What kind of conversations do you have currently that are under play where people sort of come to you and say, we see the potential, um, but you know, how, how do we get up and running with some of these things? What are some of the conversations you have with people as to you know, where do they start? How do they get up and running with, with you know, whether it's massive IoT or critical IoT in one case, whether it's the, the enhanced mobile broadband or fixed wireless? I guess in fixed wireless and, and, and the, the, uh, I guess the, the broadband space, they're fairly familiar with that, but surely critical IoT in particular is, is a whole new space for them that they haven't necessarily worked in as carriers. They've been thinking about voice and video and data. Do you see them being ready or, or willing and able to get into these markets, or, or is there a significant uh, cultural behavioural shift still required in the telco and the operator space to even come to grips with these opportunities? Uh, the answer is uh, both yes and no. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, but um, many that we we have been out talking to a lot of uh, operators, and many have started. They have tried different IoT cases. Uh, uh, they have tried and sometimes failed. Tried and sometimes uh, been successful. Uh, but uh, but they're really in the beginning of this journey, and uh, you don't really have any. Uh, experts out there yet, so they have a, a road to travel. I mean, you need to build um, um, uh, your uh, competence uh, in the operator. You need to think about what type of business model, because it's a new type of business. You can't address it as you're addressing your current uh, consumer business, uh, selling SIM cards, basically. You need to think about the business model, the go-to-market, what competence do I need to build to address this particular industry, uh, and so forth. So so there's, um, yeah. Yeah, no, I like that. That's, 
That's a good point because I think a lot of people forget that these new emerging technologies haven't just, uh, you know, if it's voice and data, we've had decades of experience with it. But when we think about, you know, you mentioned critical IoT and particularly IoT and manufacturing and and, and as uh, Frederick was saying, you know, engineering and, and big big things moving around and certainly with um, hospitals and medical we don't necessarily have experience with this. So I think that's actually a great point for people to take away from the show is that um, it's it's almost like in the startup space, we sort of think about fail and fail fast. It's, it's, you know, try some things, dip your toe, make sure you've got the right partner like Ericsson helping you to avoid some of the pitfalls. There are a couple other things. I mean, I remember having a conversation with uh, uh, one of your associates from um, one of your clients from Intel, and uh, they'd gone through this massive digital transformation internally in, in line with what I guess Ericsson's gone through themselves over the last uh, five or six years uh, just to get ready for that cultural and behavioral shift before they even started their first 5G initiative. One, one thing that um, I'm keen to get my head around, I mean, we, we saw the latest um, Ericsson Mobility report came out. You were previously the um, uh, editor and publisher for that. Uh, one of your colleagues is now uh, in that role, and uh, it was announced recently, uh, the latest version, the 2018 version. One of the things that really jumped out at me, the number of over a billion 5G subscribers by 2023 that's an astounding number. I remember reading in last year's uh, Ericsson Mobility Report that Ericsson was onboarding over a million new subscribers per day for your uh, partner operators and carriers and telcos. But one billion's a couple of orders of magnitude higher than even that. Uh, give us some context around what it even means to, to, to state that you're expecting a billion 5G subscribers by 2023, because that's not so far away. Exactly, I agree with you. It's uh, it's not far away. It's only f- five six years uh, ahead. Uh, and uh, just to correct you a little bit, it's not subscribers; it's subscriptions. Uh, Sorry, so okay. the number of subscribers will be slightly less. Just to be super super clear. Good <laughs> but point. It's a, a very high number. But to put it a little bit into context, uh, it uh, when we look at the growth of 4G and when we when we saw that pick uh, pick up. Uh, this is about the same uh, uh, speed of the growth as uh, in 4G, uh, but I agree it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's an astounding number. And and, and if we look at at uh, another number from the Ericsson Mobility Report, if we look at the number of uh, mobile subscriptions in North America by the same date in 2023, actually 48% of all subscriptions in North America will be 5G in 2023. Uh, so there we will see an even um, stronger growth and a really fast move into 5G. Uh, some other interesting things regarding 5G is um, that uh, in 2023, 20% of all mobile traffic in the networks globally will be 5G, carried by 5G networks. And um, if we look at then, and <laughs> coming back to this, that I want the, the, you know, the 5G in my, my phone, uh, actually, 20% of the world's population, uh, or more than 20%, will be covered by 5G uh, by 2023. So we will see some uh, fairly quick um, uh, network rollouts. I guess this is where 5G is a game changer for the commu- I guess the consumer space. Um, in that, uh, when we talk about when you say 20% of the world's population, I mean that's that's a significant number of human beings who are probably not already connected. Um, I imagine that 5G is going to be in the enabler uh, with with its ability to com- operate sort of you know a combination between in-building, uh, campus, precinct, and citywide, and then regional coverage in different 
different ways that the, the protocol and the standard works. Um, is I mean, that kind of growth is probably not something we could have achieved with 4G. What are some of the enablers that 5G brings about that allows us to do this rapid rollout? How, how is it? Is it because it's, uh, I guess, you know, a, a software-defined styled infrastructure? Is it the um, network function virtualization? Are there key components that make this 20% coverage possible, or is it, or is it just a consumer demand? Wh- which end of the spectrum is it? Do you think humans demanding that coverage, or is it the enabler that 5G is that makes it possible? So there, there's two things I'd like to, to bring up here. It's both the, the consumer expectations of 5G, but also the consumer use that we foresee. Um, so, so starting out with the, the, what they expect of 5G, we, we have in Ericsson something, called, uh, something that we call Ericsson Consumer Lab. And they have talked to 14,000 uh, smartphone users in 14 countries about 5G. And, uh, and 5G is very strongly associated with a better user experience. So they expect 5G to bring better speeds, uh, better reliability, and lower, lower latency. So 70% of these smartphone users have high uh, expectations of a better uh, performance, better, uh, basically, with, with 5G. Right. And, and, but if you compare it to, to, um, to Wi-Fi, uh, I mean, today, actually, a majority, vast majority of consumers, they prefer Wi-Fi to mobile broadband. Uh, but then with 5G, they actually think that 5G will outperform Wi-Fi. And that's not only when you're out and about and uh, in the park or, or around the city or what have you, but also at home. So so uh, maybe we'll see a bit of a shift. I mean, we've, we've been talking about... And the, the mobile networks needing to offload to, to Wi-Fi. But here we might see a, 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 yeah, a, a shift there uh, where you uh, actually stop to look for these uh, Wi-Fi passwords and logging into different Wi-Fi networks, but instead use your mobile phone and use 5G and, and cellular networks throughout and skip this uh, finding the password <laughs> yes my uh, i have to admit that uh, i saw it happen in my own kids at one point where i realized that uh, uh, when data plans were quite expensive even a couple of years ago they were just hot from wi-fi location to wi-fi location in fact they even kept little maps of them and there was an app that told you where they were but um i had a colleague who was in india recently a couple of weeks ago and he came back and he said that he bought a three dollar plan three dollars u.s that gave him 30 gigs and um, effectively had a gigabyte of data a day. And they had this interesting shift that you're talking about where people stopped worrying about Wi-Fi because they now had enough data and there's operators there, which I think one of them is actually your partners, who just rolled out these plans and said, you know what, voice is not so big anymore. Data is the big thing. Let's shift into that. So I think you're right. There's going to be a massive transformation in that. And I guess in, in many ways that, that uh, seamless transition from wireless to, to Wi-Fi all being integrated in one changes our behavior and use of the device as well. Uh, Frederick, uh, you were recently at uh, London at the uh, 5G IoT World, and I was uh, interested to watch the live stream um, and some of the takeouts that you talked about, and in particular some research that you'd been working on around 10 industry groups and clusters. And and a key point that really jumped out at me, I made a note of, that was something like over 400 use cases that were able to be addressed around what you're doing uh, with media entertainment and automotive and manufacturing and, and, and engineering, uh, energy and utilities and healthcare, and correct me if I've got any of those wrong, um, and it went sort of from the current space of screens everywhere and on demand all the way through to sort of the on the road 5G. And then I think it, from memory, it went out to sort of what the 5G experience was all about. 
maybe just give us some quick insight and kind of, um, I guess, what led into that, that piece of work and how you selected those 10 uh, industry clusters to start with. And I'll come back with a, a couple of questions around the use cases. Okay. So the background to, to this is that we have been working with operators for a few years now and, and, and discussing 5G. And in the beginning, those discussions were, of course, very much use case focused and focused on on, on what can I do to, to, to show new use cases and, and how can I learn from them. But then as we have been progressing, the questions have been changing more into how much money is there for operators or service providers to address industry digitalization using 5G. So the question is basically on top of, of current uh, service revenues that, that uh, service providers have today, what, what can we expect if we, re, if we go in and, and um, enter into the value chain towards the industries with, with our telecom solutions embedded? Uh, think about this as a business to business to X, a business to business to consumer offering or a business to business to business offerings that, that the, the operators could do uh, in this industry digitalization and, and draw from the value uh, that there is. So what we did, is that we looked into 10 industries uh, and we looked into uh, how much money are they investing into industry uh, digitalization uh, ICT. And out of that money, how much of that is related to 5G? And out of that money, how much is related to what operators could address? So what we did is that we researched then 10 industries, 400 use cases, and we looked over 10 years period, 2016 to 2026, to do this work. And um, the 10 industries that we looked into were media entertainment, automotive, manufacturing, energy utilities, healthcare, agriculture, retail, public safety, public transport, and financial services. And uh, within those industries, we looked to, to all of these uh, 400 use cases, and, and um, uh, what you could see here out of that is that there are some, uh, there is one part that, that is non-related to 5G, and there is one part that is heavily related to 5G, uh, and, and out of the 400, some 230 use cases were relating to 5G, uh, and, and uh, then we split them further down, and we said there's one part there that is, is uh, we call them 5G created or use cases that can be uh, created only by the means of 5G technology because of the latency and the speed and bandwidth and all of these capabilities we, we discussed previously. And then there are other use cases that um, you can do today but will become better and enhanced with, with 5G and when 5G gets introduced. And then we talk about this in a form of a use case evolution going from use cases that can be done with today's technologies along these 10 industries and moving into use cases that will be enhanced on the road to 5G and moving into use cases that uh, will be created by 5G and give a full 5G experience. And, and uh, this research then was looking into the monetary aspects of this uh, over the next 10 years and also to most countries in the world where we can break this down. Were there any standouts that surprised you? I mean, that, that's an exciting piece of work to be done, and I, I, I would love to have that on my personal CV, quite frankly. Um, it's one once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to do that kind of research, I imagine. 
Um, out of the 10 industry groups in particular, were there any standouts that you found that were either um, ahead of the game or any that you were surprised that weren't necessarily uh, uh, prepared for it? Um, we don't necessarily need to call out any brands, but I imagine in media entertainment, it's a no-brainer that media and entertainment's ready for 5G. Automotive, I think they are also well and truly ahead of it. Manufacturing, maybe I, I wouldn't necessarily expect them to be ready to rock and roll or engineering. Healthcare, probably yes. Were there any surprises? What, what if anything, leapt out at you there that, that you didn't expect? Well, first of all, um, what we did was looking into the overall question, what is really the business potential for operators to address industry digitalization using 5G? And, and looking at the uh, operator service revenue forecast uh, for the next 10 years, uh, and then adding this uh, revenue growth potential, we actually found that there is a business potential of an additional 36% in, in uh, revenue growth addressing these 10 industries. Uh, that is, of course, uh, provided that the service provider takes all the roles in the value chain uh, in all of these countries for all of these industries. And, and, and uh, what we see also is that, that it's very much dependent on, on where you step into the value chain. And if you are to, to uh, start off as a connectivity infrastructure provider or if you step into service enablement or also do applications. So it depends on that. But the additional 36% uh, potential, th that was a very high value that we found. This is, that's not the forecast and it's up to us as a telecoms industry to materialize as much as possible of those 36%. Now, so that was one finding. Another finding was which are the industries that, that are standing out where we find the highest business potential uh, from these 36%. And actually the two highest ones were uh, manufacturing and energy utilities. So those were really where we found most of the business potential. And then uh, other industries, they're also very high. So, so, so uh, public safety and healthcare, one of my personal favorites, of course, for digitalization is, is where a lot of value could be uh, found in terms of business potential. Another interesting finding is that the automotive industry uh, in combination with public transport because of the similarity in use cases would stand out as in the same size of manufacturing in the terms of, of the value. So those were some of the findings that, that we could uh, find addressing these uh, uh, 10 industries. Wow. To put some context around that, when you say another 36% of revenue, I mean, what scale of revenue growth are we talking about? When we look at the, the industry groups you've got so far and you aggregate them across those 10 clusters, I mean, what does that sound like in a dollar figure today versus what is it going to be like with another 36% growth uh, once, once some of this becomes possible? Okay, so uh, the 36% growth is basically... Uh, based on an upside of 619 billion US dollars in the year uh, of uh, 2026. And then there's a ramp up of that, of, of course. And that is then the 619 is then in addition to the operator uh, service revenue forecast uh, that we see in the range of 1.7 trillion US dollars in the year 2026. Now, when we compare this, the service forecast, that's a forecast and the business potential is a potential. So we're comparing uh, apples to pears here, if you want. Uh, but but still, it gives you an imagination of the, of the large upside that there is in uh, entering into industry digitalization with telecom solutions. 
Wow. It's, it's one of the things that comes across my table regularly. When people say to me, we've got a massive sunk cost as a telco in infrastructure that would normally sort of have a 15-year lifespan, and then we'd be expected to carry that down to 10 years and then five years. And now we're talking about sort of, you know, doing calculations down to, you know, year or sub-year or months. When, we're talking, when you're talking about $1.7 trillion, uh, and another 600 and let's say roughly $20 billion on top, I guess the commercial reality is that invest now and get on early and be an early adopter rather than wait, because that opportunity is clear there. I'd like to bring Monica uh, back in, if I could. Monica, um, one of the things that really strikes me here is, uh, uh, I guess, a a key drive towards this whole uh, digitalization of the industry as a whole, and particularly some of the IoT opportunities that flow into this. Um, What are you seeing around the 5G industry as a a sector and and where the opportunities are with digitalization, and particularly where IoT plays a part in, in the sorts of, I guess, projected growth you're seeing in these numbers? So uh, actually, I would like to bring uh, an example from one from one industry, just to be a little bit more specific and see how could 5G bring a, a difference into very advanced industries. So we we've um, uh, looked into a case and working with a case with the Fraunhofer Institute in in Germany. Uh, 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 world famous, I would say, uh, research institute, where we looked into the manufacturing of jet engines. Right. And jet engines, that's a very precise and, and uh, I mean, the quality to make those, it's super high, I would say. So so we looked into the, the, the milling of metal to make these um, parts for the for the jet engines so it's really high precision uh, manufacturing and bringing in sort of the smartness into this so so um, we um, we installed the 5g network uh, being able to provide ultra low latencies to this manufacturing process and what we basically did was adding a, a vibration sensor into this milling process and um, and um, the problem that they have today is that uh, it's a costly production and it's, uh, as I said, it's high precision and they don't know until the milling is done if this, uh, what they milled out is uh, good enough, basically. So they have a very high scrap rate, a 25% that they need to rework. But with adding this um, this uh, vibration sensor with ultra low latency, uh, they are now able to do real-time monitoring and control of this uh, milling process and can reduce significantly these, uh, the scrap rate. And this um, is something you can't do with other technologies. This ultra-low latency uh, on a part that is moving, you need 5G. Yeah, and I guess uh, <clears throat> having spent more than uh, my fair share of time at 40,000 feet above the ground and uh, as close as I'm ever going to get to space in my lifetime, uh, one, one of the things that does go through my mind uh, in, in a figurative sense is I occasionally look out at the wing and, and see that very fast spinning thing and just hope that someone's done their homework. Um, mm-hmm. Put some content... If we were to put some... I know, I'd, I don't want that thing to fall off the wing, right? So I'm glad to hear, I'm glad to hear you solving that problem. Uh, If we look at it from a commercial point of view, though, I mean, um, one of the questions that people are going to ask when they listen to this is, okay, it's great to get the engineering right. Um, Can you put any context around what that means? I mean, if you were to reduce that 25% scrap rate, uh, which is just phenomenal, I mean, we're talking about a quarter of what they make gets thrown out. What does that actually mean in dollars terms? Did you get any data around what that kind of means as far as a a business benefit goes and a cost saving? It's great that it's more accurate because I don't fall out of the sky. But I guess one of the things they looked at was the commercial viability and the ROI from that as well. 
Yes, uh, we did look at the, the value that that brings. Uh, and then let's see if I have that in my head, actually. Um, we, we looked both at uh, actually at the monetary value that it brings and uh, looking at all uh, of the manufacturing of uh, this particular part for the jet engineering. It's called the BLISK, by the way. Uh, it's actually it's 360 million euros per year wow. um, saving. Uh, but in addition, we also so looked at uh, what type of savings would this bring uh, for envi environmental sustainability, because by doing this, you can make these um, um, rotating blisks uh, more uh, be with better quality. And then by that, you can actually reduce uh, the fuel that the aircrafts use. And uh, the savings uh, that can be made is actually equal to uh, what the population of, uh, of the Stockholm emits every year in, in CO2 emissions. Wow. So that's a substantial uh, sustainability gain as well. Well, that, uh, that plays nicely into, I guess, the United Nations 17 Sustainability and Development Goals that uh, telcos and particularly Ericsson uh, subscribe to. Uh, the commercial reality of 360 million euro savings a year is great, but also I guess there's a human interest in that. I love the idea of that. And it's more accurate. Um, I'm, I'm very keen to look at now kind of where we go from here with, you know, when we, when we think about some of the use cases, uh, uh, Frederick, that you were able to look at, I mean, obviously, uh, Blisk and, and better engineering, saving money, uh, and, and reducing CO2 emissions by the population of Stockholm is astounding. Um, when operators look at some of these use cases you pulled out, I mean, are there any that really stand out um, that they that they might have already thought about but didn't know were um, likely to, to win them some big gains? There's also, I guess, the challenge of, of how do they, what sort of tactical approach do they take to these clusters? I mean, uh, earlier on, we were talking about, and I made a note about, you, you commented that there was a mix of horizontal versus uh, vertical approach across these clusters of, of I guess, uh, use cases and whatnot. What can you share as far as what you learnt uh, looking into these 400 use cases and how they break up uh, within sort of, you know, horizontal versus, versus vertical uh, groupings? And what should uh, operators be thinking about? Where can they get the best gains and what sort of tactical approach should they be thinking about across these clusters? Yeah, uh, of course, uh some of the questions that we got from, from uh, having these uh, discussions was how do I efficiently deploy all of these use cases? So out of those 400 use cases, we saw that there were some 230 use cases relating very much to 5G, the 5G enabled use cases. But should I really deploy all of them and how can I deploy them in an efficient way? If I have operations in multiple countries as, as, as an operator, um, I can, of course, replicate into multiple countries, but how should I really do this? So, so what we did is that, exactly as, as you said, this, uh, we approached a mix here of a horizontal and, and a vertical approach. So these 200 use cases from 10 industries, we researched for quite some time into, are there commonalities among these 200 5G use cases in terms of uh, deployment challenges and, and, and different KPIs that these use cases would need and, and what they need from the network capabilities or their commonalities from the go-to-market challenges, meaning how does the business model look like uh, for these different use cases? Which customers do they serve in the value chain? What does the ecosystem look like around? And having researched uh, with using various methodologies, we found one methodology we called application-based cluster methodology that brought down these 200 use cases into nine different use case clusters. 
And with a use case cluster, I mean a collection of use cases with these similar deployment challenges and go-to-market challenges. And a use case uh, cluster could be, as an example, an augmented reality, a real-time automation, or a connected vehicle cluster. And by deploying such a cluster, like an augmented reality, for instance, um, you could then basically address various industries like uh, uh, healthcare industry, manufacturing industry, or, or the uh, uh, connected cars industry, uh, just to mention, and, and by that, addressing various uh, revenue pools. So, of course, you need to have a, a horizontal approach mixed with a vertical approach. You need to take care of the regulations, the specialization, the partnerships, and so on. But by, by deploying them, you could be more efficient and, and maximize your return on investment into that. And this is actually uh, a second study that we did. So in, this, in, in addition to the business potential report and study that we did in 2017, in 2018, we launched this a second study called the Guide to Capturing the 5G Industry Digitalization Business Potential, where you can read more about this in detail. So it's, it's more around how to get started in this use case evolution by finding out which use case cluster, which strategy you should have, and how you can, within each one of these clusters you select, evolve your use cases uh, and, and based on similarities. So, so that was one piece of, of um, work that we have recently published and we are recently discussing uh, at the moment. When we think about what 5G makes possible, one of the things that keeps coming up is this whole ability to scale the network uh, at a whole order of magnitude that we'd never imagined before. And one of the technologies that I keep coming back to is network slicing. And, and I'm really keen, uh, Frederick, if you can, maybe just give us some insight into kind of what, where network slicing sits in the 5G world and kind of what the, the key value proposition of, of network slicing. Uh, when we start to scale up these networks and we add these, you know, billion subscriptions, whether it be, you know, consumers or devices, uh, just plugging more things into it isn't going to really make it work, is it? I mean, there are a couple of technologies like network slicing that probably are critical to making this scale possible. Hmm. Network slicing provides, of course, a wonderful amount of opportunities that you logically can slice your network and offer a slice to, to an industry or, or to an enterprise uh, so that they are getting their services separated and their unique KPIs uh, possible to be fulfilled based on, on that they have a part of the network separated just for them. And what we did also to understand more is that we studied this uh, in, in detail uh, together with, with, with uh, BT, British Telecom. And um, in that study, we compared basically uh, the economical or the financial aspects of this, uh, looking into one big network, sep several separate physical networks, or uh, a network having multiple network slices. And, and in comparison, we found differences in, in uh, uh, revenue. We found differences in, in uh, uh, OPEX and, and CAPEX as well, uh, and all in, in favor of the network slicing setup, especially uh, versus having one big network. Uh, you can, of course, have multiple separate networks physically, but, but then you're not as flexible and agile as you can be if you have a network slicing setup in that one. 
There's certainly an exciting future ahead of us. I guess we're coming up to the hour, and before we wrap up, one of the things I love to do with my guests, and I hope you both don't mind uh, taking part in this, is I'd love to hand you a a virtual crystal ball each and just get you to gaze into it for a moment. And, and Monica, maybe if I can start with you, and then I'll come back to you, Frederick. Um, Monica, if you were to uh, just uh, take a deep breath and look into this virtual crystal ball, uh, being the 5G geek that you are, uh, or nerd, as you said, um, (laughs) You know, if you were to if you were to look over the horizon, the next three to five years, you know, personally beyond your amazing role uh, heading up the five G marketing uh, challenge uh, for Ericsson, um, where would you like to see this going? What are the big emerging things and trends that you think are going to come over the horizon? What exciting things could we maybe think of that aren't traditional networking or traditional device related? Are, are there things that you've seen, you know, just or that sit in your heart that you think um, are going to come over the horizon we haven't expected? What what sort of you know, I guess. Uh, things would you imagine that have come around the corner we don't we don't necessarily expect yet yeah what i expect uh, is the to have this uh, 5g by then i definitely want to have this 5g symbol in my smartphone so but that's the the nerd uh, coming back to the nerd thing but um I expect that we by then have a uh, lot of these exciting use cases out there in uh, in commercial deployment, not only in the trial stage, uh, so that they're real working and 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 helping us. And and I think about one uh, that got me really excited the other day is uh, is uh, uh, drone delivery, and that is not then drone delivery of pizza, uh, but much more. Um, uh, important, I think, and, and life-saving, and that's something that uh, uh, that we do together with the Nordic operator Telia and uh, a healthcare institute uh, research institute called uh, Karolinska, where they're uh, looking into a drone delivery of uh, defibri- defibrillators. Sorry, hard for me to uh, pronounce. <laughs> sort of when you have a heart failure, you know, you yeah, yeah. you need yeah, and and. Uh, uh, quite amazing. I saw the the film of this where where they have the the drones uh, that can uh, reach uh, victims. I think it's four times faster than an ambulance. And you really need, if you have a heart failure, you need immediate assistance. You can't wait wait for the ambulance. And then, so so these type of of use cases um, that can save lives. Uh, I found find. Um, I want to see them out there. Not only the. I like it. Like pizza delivery. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I, I do have a hope that, uh, you know, I think I think we, we can all agree there's some interesting things happening around the world now. But I, I do like the fact that you've got uh, this this positive view on the world uh, writing itself with the, the smart use of technology. Um, and it's great to hear that. Um, Frederick, uh, if you were to gra- gaze into this crystal ball um, for you personally and professionally, I guess, you know, beyond uh, your, your job every day around the space, you know, where do you personally want to see this go? What, what sort of things do you, uh, hand on heart, sort of hope they're over the horizon and where do you see this taking us uh, as a whole? Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with Monica on, on the healthcare industry and, and I see this as a, an evolution, a um, very smooth use case evolution starting with uh, use cases of today. And if we look into the digitalization and and the um, benefits that digitalization brings into the industries particularly, uh, and and starting then again with the healthcare industry, there are a lot of activities that are being digitalized today, uh, such as uh, remote patient monitoring, home care, and, and even just having a possibility to call a doctor uh, and, and over a digital 
interface today instead of visiting the doctor. So that's where we're starting today. And then as we move on and the technology is getting more and more advanced with, with technologies such as network slicing or distributed cloud and so on, we can step into uh, other activities in the healthcare sector. Uh, we could think about uh, medical assisted operations, increased video during operations uh, so that uh, doctors can basically help each other out from, from distance. Uh, and then, as, as Monica explained, stepping into drone delivery or even uh, remote assisted operations or remote operations, you can think about the procedure uh, where, where um, doctors help each other out during operations, also using haptic feedback. That's a bit further away. Uh, but that's really would be my hope and, and dream that we can, for the better of society and good of mankind, that that uh, we can support now with 5G in the events of digitalization of industries and particularly healthcare, as Monica pointed out. Wow, they um yeah, just both very inspirational uh, points of view there, and and gives me great hope for the future of mankind. Well, uh, Monica uh, Bailin, uh, 5G marketing director at Ericsson, and uh, Frederick uh, Engstromer, uh, head of marketing for 5G Core Business Area Digital Services at Ericsson. Thank you both so much for making so much time available to, to get to know you personally and your roles, and the amazing insights you've shared with us. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you both today. Thank you so much, Des, for having us. Thank you indeed, and it was a lot of fun, and I hope you enjoyed it.